I directed all to the Spirit of God in themselves, that they might be turned from darkness to light and believe in it, that they might become children of it and might be turned from the power of Satan unto God, and by the Spirit of truth might be led unto all truth and sensibly understand the words of the prophets of Christ and of the apostles. From George Fox's sermon on Furbank Fell, England, 13th of 6th month, 1652. This is the Greek OIM Bible study, and we are reading the first epistle of John. This is session two of First John. And we are on chapter one. We left off about verse four, section through chapter two. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I'm just realizing that what we just read Yesterday, I'm, I'm doing a different Bible study, and we're reading the Gospel according to John. And a lot of the very similar vocabulary is in this paragraph, as was what I was just discussing yesterday. Interesting. Okay, in verse 5, I have, this is the message we have heard from him. Does anyone have a different word there? Everyone has message? Okay, well, that word is interesting. That word is angelia. And angelia is the word for message. And can anyone tell me what it's related to? There's another word very similar. Angels we have heard on high. <laughs> there we go. Angelos is the word for messenger. And we often translate it as angel. Just a direct transliteration of the letters, that's all but it means messenger. So when we're talking about messengers, we are talking about angels often. And there's another word with that same root. Evangel. Evangelion is the word for good news. And we translate it often as gospel. gospel. So you can see the root in all of these is this root, angel. Angelia is a message. Angelos is a messenger or angel. Evangelion is gospel or good news or a good message. And so this root is what we have in all those three words. So they're all related. So Henry, does that mean that I live in the city of the messages or the messenger? The messengers, yes. The city of the messengers. Los Angeles, Los Angeles. Just trying to think if there's any other place by that name. So anyway, I just want, before I forget, I wanted to say in this verse, you have Angelia, message. 
But obviously, it's a good message or a gospel, but he's just using the basic form of the word. This is the good news. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. I don't know if in this session, these sessions I've talked about this word before. Pos is light. It really means fire. There's another word for fire. Pos is the fire that gives light. And pur is the fire that gives heat or burns, burns up. So this is pos. And this is related to our English word photo, photograph. Phosphorus? No, it's a different root. Photograph, photography, a photo, photosynthesis. I don't know if it's helpful just to show these related words that we've borrowed from English, but there they are. Henry, could I back up a minute? The equivalent word gospel, what's the root of that? Is that uh, Anglo-Saxon or? Yeah, that's Anglo-Saxon. That goes back okay. to Old English. Okay. Old English, and it's uh, in Old English, it's this word, goat spell, and that means good news in Old English. They just translated the Greek into English as good news, which is goat spell, and that's where you get gospel. The word for darkness is skatia. I'm just mentioning it because oftentimes it isn't physical darkness, but inward darkness inward ignorance, spiritual ignorance, or some form of just something dark. Skatiya is darkness, but as I say often, it refers to something more inward, interior darkness, inner darkness. So this is the basic message here, and this is very important for Quakers, that God is light, God is light, he is light, he is illumination. Spiritual illumination. We so often talk about the light of Christ. This is the word that's used here. The inward light of Christ, the inner light of Christ, the light of Christ within. And this is the basic message here. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. God can be understood as spiritual illumination, our illuminator. And in him there is no darkness at all. Just complete, total light, illumination. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we had this word before in verse 3. I don't know if anyone remembers it, koinonia. And that means communion, fellowship, union. Does anyone have another translation in their Bible? It's also sharing in, in things. Okay. Yeah. Communion, it's, it's sharing something together. Yeah. Henry, I'm, I'm looking at New English Bible, and it renders it sharing in his life, if we claim to be sharing in his life. Okay, that's all right. The word itself here, koinonia, the adjective is koinos, which just means in common, common, in common. So if we say we, have a, we are sh sharing in, with, in God, having a share in God, while we are walking in darkness, there's light and then there's darkness. But walking is an interesting word in Greek. 
As I said, here in this section, we have a lot of words that are kind of important because they're used throughout the epistles of John as well as in the gospel. This does mean walk in a literal sense or go about, move about. But it also has a more important meaning here. It means to behave or act. We have an English word we don't use very much, but peripatetic yeah. <laughs> would be a, a direct meaning yeah, of that. I've kind of forgotten what it means in English, though. I've, I've seen it. Oh, it's a couple of walking times. around. It's peripatetic. A certain type of individual, correct? Yeah. I could ask Alexa here, see what she thinks. Alexa, what does peripatetic mean? It's walking around. Itinerant. Okay, quiet. Alexa, stop. <laughs> she sometimes likes to show off. So you find this word quite often in Quaker writings. This is what was used in the King James Version, walking. But the clear understanding is how you behave, how you uh, conduct yourself. I shouldn't say act, how you conduct yourself. Henry? Yeah. The, um, this Bible says, live, uses the word living in darkness. If we continue living in darkness, we are liars and do not follow the truth. But if, if we live in the light, as God is the light, we can share uh, with each no. other. I mean, I would agree that's true, but not a translation of this verse. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I wondered. Yeah, yeah this is walking, and, and friends often, I mean, I've been reading Schuin lately, and he uses it quite a lot, William Schuin, early friend. Uh, and, of course, you see it in Fox all the time, all the Quakers, because it, it occurs often in uh, Johannine writings. So, but it does mean to, to behave, to conduct oneself, how one acts. Uh, but in a more physical sense, it means walk or move about, go about. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we are lying and do not do what is true. We are not practicing truth. And you know that word truth, again, is one of these words in John epistles that is so frequent. And that's truth. It also means reality. And sometimes you get the feeling it means both at the same time. I'll lay there. Truth, reality. Uh, the, the prefix A is a negative. That's so correct. is there a positive root in there? Yeah, the L-E-T-H. Okay. Yeah, forget. So not, not forgetting, not forgetful, something like that. The A is a negative, like it would be in English U-N, like un, you know, unnatural, uneven. The Greek has A. And let me just give you a lay thinos. I was thinking that there was a river that was between this world and the afterworld in some mythology that was yes. called Wrath. Was it? Is that uh, right? Well, what's the word? Yes, it is. What is the word? Uh, it was the border with the sticks, I thought. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, I'm just giving you the adjectives here for this word, ace. So, again, these words occur over and over again. True, real. We say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness. We are lying and are not practicing truth. We are not doing what is 
truth, what is real, what, what we should be doing. But rather, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This word blood is hyma. Hematology. That's the same root, hematology, H-E-M. Now, for a Jew, they understood blood in another sense. That was life in you, was, was, it was in your blood. I think if you think of blood when it's often used here in the New Testament, you might think better of thinking of it as lifeblood. Now, Jesus as being the lifeblood, at the same time, it also refers to the blood that was shed on Calvary. So I'm just mentioning these because it's good to have them in the back of your head when you see a word like this. You know, to be cleansed with the blood of Jesus is to be, again, his blood was spilt as a sacrifice. And, of course, the Jews sacrificed at times to remove their sins, to make atonement for their sins every year. But, but they use the blood of animals for that, right? Yes, and in, in this case, this is a human being, Jesus. And this, there was no more need for any more kind of sacrifice of any animal. Yes. I'm seeing the root of the word catharsis for cleansing, catharizo. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is it, cleanse? Catharizo, yeah. Catharizo. Uh, what verse is that in? Uh, the one we're reading. Um, oh, the one we're reading. Yeah, that's right. It's right uh, seven. It's cath- seven. Yeah. Yeah. Catheter. Catheter. No, catheterizes a different word. <laughs> Cathartic. <laughs> yeah, catharsis would be the same. Would be the same root. Okay. And his and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleans us, makes us clean from every sin or all sinning. It could go either way, but from every sin. And if, we've talked about this word sin before. I don't recall. Spell okay. it out. Sin or sinning. And it means to go off the mark. You're aiming for something and you go off. You miss the mark. Or, or say you're on a road to somewhere and you take the wrong exit. You've done a hamartia. Let me just see what this dictionary says. Okay, here we go. A departure from either human or divine standards of uprightness, a state of being sinful, sinfulness, or sinning, and also as a destructive evil power, sin. Their meanings range from involuntary mistakes and errors to serious offenses against a deity. So it's a wide range of the meaning. We've talked about sun here, haven't we? We us. H-U-I-O-S. And I think I've mentioned it in this group. Again, a son is understood to be something at a rank or a level higher than a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks for someone else. And that's what the word literally means. The P-R-O means for, and the P-H-E means speak. So a prophet is a spokesperson. And Huyas is son. And as I don't know if I mentioned in this course... If you go to Hebrews chapter 1, clearly spells the difference there in verse 1, chapter 1 of Hebrews. 
Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways through the prophets. But in these last days, in these most recent days, he has spoken to us through a son. And so a son is at a higher level than just a prophet. Of course, a son here is also a prophet. When the word is used, son, does that mean uh, compared to a prophet, does the word son convey higher authority? I think it conveys quite a few things at a higher level. A son here would mean a prophet as well, but more so than a son. I think that's said also further on in Hebrews there, mm -hmm. I think the first uh, few paragraphs. Does he have that there, Sarah? Yeah, I've got it here. I guess it once more here. So chapter one. Yeah, let me go back to that. There we go. It says, has in his last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through him also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So, I mean, even higher than God's messengers. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Again, that's mentioned at the baptism of Jesus. I think mm -hmm. it's Luke. And it goes back to, I forget where in the Old Testament right now. I want to point out one other thing here in Hebrews. Let me just find it in the English here. That's right. Oh, yes, in verse 9. And this is referring to Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. He's anointed you. Now, this is an important verse right here. Let me get to the Greek. Creo. This is a verb in, in, in Greek, creo, which means anoint. And it says in this verse, God has anointed you. Anoint means to pour something on or rub something, pour something into or rub something on. And when God creoed Jesus, he made him Christ, in other words, because Christos is what he called the participle. That means anointed. And this verse is saying, God anointed you. God made you Christ, in other words, made you the Messiah which is what the Hebrew means. How do you spell Messiah? S-A-I-A-H. I-O-H. There we go. So, creo. Oh, and this, this word, chrisma, uh, may as well give it that one, means anointing. It's the noun. Yeah, so that's the, that gives us our English word chrism, which is that the oil. oil chrism, yeah. Yeah, that they use in some churches. So, okay, so here anoint, Christos is anointed or Messiah, or as we just transliterated into English, it's just plain old Christ, but we are talking about the anointed one, the Messiah, and the anointing that is within you. You all have this anointing. You all have this Christ within you. Saying Christ, Christos, we're talking more in anthropomorphic terms, but if we use Christma, you have this anointing, we're talking more in understanding of a concept rather than a Christ being in you, the anointed one, that anointing. 
Well, we're talking about the same thing here, actually. And, and we'll get to that actually uh, later on here, this word chrisma, where it, it talks about the anointing within you, that inward anointing. Again, that is the light of Christ within you. That is the Son of God within you. And, and that influences you. We hope so, that you're listening to it, becoming aware of it, paying attention to it, listening to it, and then obeying it, being in union with God, being in light by following, walking, conducting oneself, acting in that illumination. Okay, where are we? The blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here, frequently, I'm thinking of truth, both in the sense of truth with a capital T, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, as well as truthfulness. Early friends referred to Quakerism, their Quaker beliefs, their society as truth. They use that actual word. If we confess our sins, okay, well, this word, let me make sure I'm recalling the right word here. If we are, if we are homologoman, uh, this word, uh, confess, I won't put it down, also means acknowledge. If we acknowledge our sins, the first step, it's an important first step, is to acknowledge your sins to acknowledge them, to realize that you have sinned or that you are sinning or that you're in this frame of mind. And that may be a very hard thing to do. It can be very hard to acknowledge that you are a sinner. And I think that's what's being spoken of here. Confess is also a correct translation of this word, confess or acknowledge. Homolo, my. Acknowledge, confess, verb. When we are talking about being convinced by the light within, being convicted by the light within, this is the first step. This is where we recognize that we have been sinners. This is the first step in metanoia, in uh, repentance, in its true sense of transforming ourselves and changing our whole mental apparatus how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive the world, how we perceive God, and all the relationships there. And this can be the hardest, that people just can't get past this first step. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just. The word just here is just another word, tikaios, an adjective. It means righteous, just, the same word, upright is a more modern English word, and upright in God's eyes, dikaios. Henry, would this be a, equivalent to the Hebrew word sedek? We heard a lot of invocation of that in uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's memorials. Is that the word that means turning? Sedek is usually righteousness for justice. Oh, okay, no, that's what I'm putting down right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, dikaios. This is righteousness. I'm giving you a lot of vocabulary today, but like I said, there's quite a lot here in this paragraph. So righteousness, uprightness, again, in God's eyes, what's understood 
as righteous in God's eyes. This is why we need to discern the will of God and just stop acting on our own wills. In verse 9, unrighteousness would be the opposite of it. Adekia. Let me look it up. Adekia, yeah. An act that violates standards of right conduct, wrongdoing. Okay, also means the quality of injustice, unrighteousness, wickedness, injustice. It ain't right, in other words. So we're, we're seeing contrast between Dikaios and Adakia. Okay, so, and that word is Adikia. So that's unrighteousness, wickedness, wrongdoing. Okay, all important words. Let's see, Dikaios, Dikasune, Adikia. Okay, where are we? Okay, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Probably seen this many times before with me, Logos. And what does it mean? One basic overall meaning is anything verbalized. Or expressed. Anything verbalized, expressed, uttered. This Bible says we do not accept God teaching. What? Yeah. Say that again, Nancy. It says we make him a liar and we do not accept God's teaching. No, no, I would not translate. I think that's wrong. What's really, there's something more Quaker, more Quaker understanding here in this verse. This is in us, his word. We would perhaps translate this with a capital W is one possibility. Are we looking at verse 8 or 10? It looks 10. Like, okay. If we say we have not sinned, let me check the Greek again here. Okay, and the word of him, is not in humin, is not in us. It's, it's, what I want to emphasize is in us. This word of the anointed one of the word of God is not in us. That is the light. God is light, we just said. So the light or the light of Christ is not in us. I have in uh, parentheses in, in verse 10, the divine message of the gospel is not in our hearts. No. That's not it. <laughs> just looking at the straight Greek, it's saying something much more from how Quakers have understood it. They're trying to stretch this to mean things it does not mean. It says in us, in us, in us, which is in Greek, in uh, umin. You're going to get a lot of these translations that are like this. People, well, they don't think like Quakers. And Quakers, I think, have, you know, the first Quakers were excellent biblical interpreters. King James Version was a pretty good version for its time. Modern translators want to make it say something it doesn't say. I'm looking at uh, Goodspeed, and he extends it a little bit. He says, we're making him a liar, and his message is not in our hearts. We don't literally have the word heart there, but, but no. it's showing something close, you know, central to our most. being. I would rather just stick to the words here. His word, capital W, or 
all that he is trying to express to us is not in us. That's a pretty straightforward translation and it's how Quakers have understood it and what they emphasized. The other meaning is reason, the power of reasoning, reasoning, that sort of thing. But we're not referring to that in this particular sentence. So looking at how lines 8 and 10 are similar, if we say we have no sin, or if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves or we make him a liar. And then for the first one says the truth is not in us, then the truth is not in us, and then, but in tenets then his word is not in us. So his word would then be the truth, or you would think of them as being the same thing. It seems like- We're talking about the same thing here. The capital T, truth, is the same as the capital W word here, okay? I'm trying to speak like an early friend here. Pat, does they have any uh, thoughts on this? Yes, I was thinking that Christ is equated with both of those words. Yes, right. And we can go further, I mean, go on and on here. Although it says his word rather than the word. But that might just be the translation in 10. The, it's the truth in eight, but his word. Yeah, well, like what I was saying here, uh, logos can refer to anything verbalized. So all of what God is trying to get into our thick skulls is the word, is that divine word. Christ is the truth. I mean, he tells us he is. I am the way to God the Father. I am truth. I am the true divine reality. I am life. I am eternal life. I am the life of all the ages. This is the Spirit of God in Jesus, revealing itself in Jesus, saying that. Self in him behaving as he did and acting as he did in the world. We should be acting the same way, conducting our lives the same way, talking to others, talking about others in the same way, behaving that way. We could go into the whole passage, and I'd love to, but maybe we don't have the time today because we're almost finished. Uh, really go, on, go into looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm still trying to work on a good translation of that passage. It's so important, but there are two or three words there that are very hard to figure out how to translate them clearly into English. What chapter and verse in Philippians was it that you said you were working on? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And I just want to say one very important thing is that I've read somewhere about there are a couple of manuscripts that have a slightly different Greek in one of the verses, which makes all the difference. But they are probably the correct, the original and it was changed in other manuscripts because people didn't quite understand what was actually being said there. Probably talk about that at some point. Or maybe in my spiritual topics series, I've got to get that going. That might be a whole session or more. So that, that's a good idea, actually. In that verse 5, there's an imperative verb there in the imperative mood, and it gets translated in some funny ways. The verb is think. And Paul, the apostle, is telling the Philippians to think the same thoughts that Jesus was thinking. And that's interesting. But you get different translations, and it gets kind of watered down in some translations. I don't recall what the King James says. The King James may say think also, but I don't remember. No, it's let this mind be in you. Okay. 
it's, Jesus. Yeah, it's let this mind. That's the verb freneta. You know, like be frenetic. <laughs> it means think. It's the imperative form. Think. That actually means, I guess, the same thing. Let this mind be. <laughs> it's not quite as strong as just saying think like Jesus. Think those thoughts. Think those, what was in Jesus's mind. Henry, I have another observation on what we've just read. It looks like uh, the construction is pretty much parallel between 8 and 10. Uh -huh. and in one, one, we have that the truth is not in us. The other, his word is not in us. And, and I think that this emphasizes a theological point that you've said that friends have had, that truth and word are both equivalent and point to Jesus as the Christ. You know, I was talking about this in yesterday's Bible study on the gospel according to John. Probably too late to go into it now, but sometimes it's important to understand that the writers of the gospel sometimes would change things or say things in a way to try to get across spiritual truths, spiritual realities, so that they would not necessarily be saying something that were the exact words of Jesus, if they could even remember them. And of course, in John, the gospel got finally written probably about 60 years after the death and resurrection of him. But what was more important was the spiritual understanding rather than the outward words in themselves. Because if Jesus had said that in the temple, the way that it's written there, he would have been arrested. That would have been pure blasphemy. But that's another talk, actually. The spiritual sense there that this divinity in Jesus is what mattered. It matters for us and matters to us because that same divinity is in us. If we realize it's there, maybe as a seed initially and nothing more unless we focus on it and pay attention to it and make it grow and follow its leadings in terms of a true transformation, a true metanoia, repentance, and all that follows from that in terms of being convinced, converted, and changing our lives and ways of thinking. Okay, this whole first section of this epistle is very important for a lot of theological points that are important to friends. I'm sorry that's been kind of lost in some of the other branches, partially or completely, but there's a lot here that's very important to understand. One question I have, Henry, is um, I got in the polite argument with another friend the other day about what the word friends means. And I was saying, oh, well, it means friends of Jesus. And he said, oh, well, no, it's not that at all. It's friends of truth. And I said, well, the truth is Jesus. But I couldn't really go much further into it. But yeah. I just wonder, is that the mean? Is it's, it's Jesus, isn't it? Or is well, it okay. No, in, um, in the Gospel according to John, chapter 13 or 16, I'm 15, Jesus says to um, his disciples, his students, you are my friends. You are no longer like slaves. You are my friends if you do what I order you to do, if I, what I command you. So this is where friends call themselves friends, friends of Christ, that we are doing what Christ Jesus wanted us to do. Earlier, friends called themselves children of light or children of the light. And light is truth, is fun, is 
I mean, what he was saying, David, is correct. But I think he would, he probably wouldn't understand all the equivalencies here among all these words that we understand as, well, I as a conservative Quaker would. Yeah, well, the... And, I mean, I'm not sure all of us... The, even the original would. friends would have understood truth as the word, which was Jesus. But modern liberal friends, to deny Christ, they, they use truth as an alternative to Christ rather than as a synonym. Yeah, unfortunate. But that's what you have out there. You know, and to really fight an argument with that, I myself would really want to go into a lot of the details like we've just been talking about, but you just never get a chance to go into that much depth. I can just remember once at the Friend Center here in California, um, I was trying to explain why I was using the word father to refer to God, and this was a liberal friend who I didn't know. She had just heard me minister and worship that particular first day. And she just walked away. I mean, as I was talking to her, what can I say? I mean, I, I was a little nonplussed by it, but you know, you get that sort of thing. You could have an e easy rejoinder of, well, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? One of the first <laughs> few words there? It is too bad. You are dealing with that kind of that's very different from on the opposite end is dealing with real literalist. Well, I should say a lot of liberal friends are very biblically literal. And you have to fight with them to get them to understand things not literally. They decided they were going to take things literally, and then they reject their literalness. Whereas evangelical Christians, evangelical friends often take things literally, and they just won't go beyond it, but they accept that literalness. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you've got those who reject it and then just forget it. One of the things that's come to me in this last little bit of the discussion was a real significant change for me that Christians in general tend to have a belief in Christ, whereas Quakers try and have the same belief of Christ which is to say he and God are the same and he needs to follow what God says and it's not the same thing as believing in something, whatever that is. And I think the changes in translation that we've just heard about speak to that very point that a lot of regular Christians can't grasp this idea of people being able to walk the same as Christ does. You brought up this word believe. And it's unfortunate that so often is misunderstood. You know, in, in the, the, these creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, what are the first words? I believe. Credo. Yeah, credo, <laughs> credo and unum deum. I believe in one God. Or the original would said was in the plural. We believe in one God in the Greek, but the Nicene Creed, the Stoomen. Well, again, the word believe the basic meaning of the word means trust. You put your trust in. You put your confidence in. I believe in one God. I put my trust in one God. I don't put my trust in God of money, mammon. I don't put, you know, in Eros or any other God. We trust only one God. I believe in one God. And it's unfortunate that that word has seems to have some meaning to exist or not exist or whatever. It can have that meaning, but more often the basic root of that word means to trust, to put one's trust in, to have confidence in. 
Believe in the name of Jesus means to put your trust in the basic nature of Jesus, who Jesus was and what he was. It's sort of like to become a true Quaker, as the first Quakers were, you have to retranslate all these words into an, un an inward understanding or a different understanding that your outward worldly Christian beliefs and theologies have there. And it's a very different thing. It brings you to a very different point of understanding and where you are in relationship to God. I'm trying to think of the verse from Isaiah. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is saved on thee. It's knowing how to do that and knowing how to do it in the right way that is so important. But to be fair, don't evangelicals who, who wear the little what would Jesus do bracelets, aren't they aspiring to the same thing? You know, even if they're... But their understanding of what Jesus would do or not do is very different than what I think. What does God mean to you? Who is Jesus Christ? Does he allow us to go and fight wars and kill millions of people and bomb cities and children and babies? And it's that understanding of Jesus. It's that understanding of God. You know, put your confidence in the true nature, the basic essence of who Jesus was. Believe in the name of Jesus. The phrase, word of God, those three words, word of God, divide the three main groups of Quakers. Liberal Quakers are not so sure there is such a thing as the Word of God. Evangelical program pastoral friends believe the Bible is the Word of God. And conservative friends believe Jesus Christ is the Word of God. So there are three different words of God relationships among friends. That's right. That's right. And it's pretty basic, too. What would Jesus do? I think they're trying to decide in their rationality, in their, their own reason, what he would do. Whereas what we want to do is find out directly from him through his inward word. Yes. Yeah. It's something that, like you say, they don't seem to grasp. But I, I'm sure some do, but don't know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. God is always trying to break in through our thick skins and get into our thick skulls what his will is. We just had a discussion in, in another, another Bible study about discerning the will of God where this was an ecumenical group of Lutherans and Catholics mostly where they just felt that wasn't quite possible, some of them. That's not our belief. God is always trying to, and he does get through so many. Unfortunately, there are others who won't let him in. They're too distracted by all the red herrings of the world around them, you know, all the pleasures and all the uh, things that they can get addicted to, money, sex, fame, fortune, power, you name it. But he also speaks to us um, by simply putting a stop on us, you know, it's not always what we will do, but often it's a stop to tell us no. Yeah. That's important too, Sarah. Uh, to be told no is a directive also. Yeah. Yeah. There's that story about the boy that told his grandpa that God didn't answer prayer. Grandpa was shocked and he said, well, what do you mean? 
And the boy said, I prayed and prayed for a new bicycle. My old bicycle was five years old, and I needed a new bicycle. And I prayed and prayed for it and did not get it. And his grandpa thought a few minutes and said, well, you know, no is an answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me say something. You know, this kind of discussion we've had, we've been having the last few minutes after our session, this is what I hope to do in the series that will be on the spiritual topics that will be on Thursday evenings at 7.30, once I can get my act together. This is the sort of thing I'm hoping for others where I'll talk about some subject and then go on from there. Although I'll start off with the things I mentioned in the uh, morning sharings at the yearly meeting last month. Okay, well, I think this was a very uh, edifying session, I hope. Time for me to go too, I guess. Good night now. Thank you very much, Henry. All right. Thank you, Fran. This podcast has been a production of Ohio Yearly Meeting. It was hosted by Henry Jason and edited by Kim Palmer. The introduction and credits were read by Chip Thomas. The quote in our introduction is from George Fox's sermon on Furbank Fell in 1652, as reported in Chapter 6 of his journal. A link to this journal is in the show notes of this episode. We welcome feedback on this or any of our podcast episodes. Contact us through our website, ohioyearlymeeting.org, or email us at oimconservative at gmail.com.